Everybody has a body. Everybody experiences something, whether it's pain, injury, illness, or disease. Every experience can teach us something. I'm your host, Kristen Erickson. On this podcast, I interview guests about their health experiences and what they have learned. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm here today with my colleague and very good friend, Karina Trujillo-Tanner. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. We are going to have a wonderful discussion today about her journey. And I'm super excited. I've been looking forward to this for a very long time. And before we dive into her health journey and her the lessons that she's learned, I want to give a little bio. So we are colleagues together at Brigham Young University. And I just want to read her bio briefly. So she joined the Brigham Young University College of Nursing as an assistant professor in 2019 after completing her PhD and a two-year National Institutes of Health Research Fellowship in Cancer, Aging, and End of Life. She maintains an ongoing clinical practice at the University of Utah Moran Eye Center, where she has worked for 10 years creating a curriculum designed to help individuals with vision loss maintain their independence and quality of life. She holds post-master's certificates in gerontology, adult nurse practitioner training, and an international certificate in caring and healing. She is passionate about guiding students in honoring and fostering late life potential, creating an age-inclusive culture, and changing what it means to be blind. So, Karina, again, welcome. Thank you so much. So, did I miss anything important from your bio? I feel like there's so many wonderful things that you've done in your your life? Yeah, I have um, actually been at the Moran for 12 years now. And before that, I was working at State Services for the Blind as a home management instructor, teaching blind people how to cook, clean, shop, do laundry, makeup, all the things that you need to do in life. Wow. I think that's that especially hits home for me because my grandma lost her vision and she was helped by a lot of those services and it can be extremely helpful as you're transitioning to a new way of living. Yes, and vision impairment is much more common among older people. So older people sometimes have to make that transition from being sighted to now living with this vision impairment. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So and then can you tell a little bit about your family? Sure. I'm the oldest of seven kids. I grew up in the mountains of Colorado, and uh, I still have a great close connection with all my siblings. Hmm. And you have four kids? I do. I have four kids, um, ages nine to 30. (laughs) It's incredible that you have a 30-year-old. You look very young. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I've been excited for this interview. When I was interviewing at the College of Nursing, I noticed uh, in during the interview that you were referencing something and you had to use special glasses uh, to be able to see something. And so I could tell that there was some visual impairment. So that was my first kind of introduction to your vision loss, I guess I should say. But I know there's a whole story behind it. Mm-hmm. So why don't you walk us through, like go back to when you, your story started. Yeah, one of the things that's tricky about vision impairment and blindness is that of people who are legally blind, only about 15% are totally blind. The other 85% have some remaining vision. 
And so I fall into that category. While I may not look like I have a vision impairment or that I'm blind, I am legally blind. And so I can uh, walk down the hall and pass you in the hall and you may not notice that I can't see well, but I sure notice. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I've been living with most of my life. Um, would you like to hear about my vision impairment yes. and how yeah. I found out? Yeah. yeah, I want to hear the um, whole story. <laughs> okay. I have a genetic eye disease. It's called Stargardt's disease. And and uh, it just sort of popped up in my family. It can skip four to five generations at a time. So when I started experiencing vision loss in my teens, uh, nobody really knew that I might be dealing with something really more serious. I noticed when I was 14 that I needed to get closer and closer to the chalkboard to see it in mm -hmm. school. And I noticed that my eyesight was degenerating really rapidly. It was getting worse really fast. And I thought this must be what it is like to need glasses. And uh, it got so bad that I couldn't read the chalkboard at all. Even if I sat in the front row, I would have to, after class, go up to the chalkboard and try and like take as many notes as I could just with my nose almost to the chalkboard. And um, I mentioned to my parents that I thought that I probably needed glasses and um, it was hard to get to the eye doctor. My school was 45 minutes away. I mean, we were so rural, just the school was 45 minutes away from wow. where we lived. Wow. And um, so to get to an eye appointment would have been a really big deal. Um, like I mentioned, I had lots of younger siblings. My mom had a nursing baby. She cared for her uncle, my great uncle, who was very disabled. So, and, and I didn't look visually impaired. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Nobody yeah. had noticed that I couldn't read. Uh -huh. <laughs> and um, so uh, about a year passed mm -hmm. and uh, it came the day that at schools where all the moms, the volunteer moms come to do the eye tests mm. and they line you up. They have the big Snellen eye chart on the wall and, and you take turns taking the eye test with the mom volunteers. So it came to be my turn and I could only see the big E hmm. and the moms thought I was joking hmm. and they thought I was trying to be funny and make the other kids <laughs> laugh. Mm -hmm. And the other kids thought I was trying to be funny and make kids laugh. And so they were all laughing. The moms were getting really mad hmm. and I ran out of the school crying. Oh, wow. And uh, that uh, was one of the really I know one of the experiences that's really emblazoned on my mind when it comes to vision loss and blindness it was mm -hmm. it was a painful experience mm -hmm. yeah. um, that got me a, a one-way quick ticket to the eye doctor mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, then I had my next really challenging and kind of painful experience surrounding the vision loss here I thought well now I'm gonna go get glasses mm -hmm. it'll be fine mm -hmm. and um, the doctor goes through these lenses and he says, is this better mm -hmm. or is that better? <laughs> mm -hmm. Is this one better or that one better? Yeah. And then I, I remember the feeling when I realized there were no more lenses and nothing had made it better. And wow, I was like, yeah, that's... what, what is happening? So then I went to the gauntlet of all of the doctor's appointments and specialists and weird tests. They did weird tests on your eyes and stuff like that. And, and then I did get the diagnosis of Stargardt's. Um, 
there's no treatment. And so on the one hand, that's a blessing because you don't have painful treatments or visits to the doctor's office or the hospital. But on the other hand, it is a degenerative eye condition that has continued to get worse over the years with no treatment. So um, I didn't know what this would mean for my life. I didn't know if it meant that I would need to live with my parents the rest of my life or if I would be able to go to college. Uh, I knew I couldn't drive a car. That was off the table. So it it was a tough time. I have to say it was a time of loneliness because Mm -hmm. not being able to drive and having um, my high school 45 minutes away from my house, the church that we went to was also 45 minutes away. And I was just across the line I don't know if you remember the days where there used to be long distance phone calls. Yes, I sure do. (laughs) And so I was just right across the Mm -hmm. line. So even to call my friends from school or church was a long distance phone call. Wow. And so it, it was a time of my life of just not knowing and just trying to kindle a little bit of hope. And um, that hope was really realized with a couple of awesome events that happened Mm -hmm. in my life. One when I graduated from high school, my grandmother was aware of resources for the blind and visually impaired where she lived in California. Mm. And she flew me to California and I lived with her for the summer. And she got me connected with all kinds of services. I got glasses that they were really, really strong magnifying glasses that allowed me to be able to read. I got some training in braille, training in um, using the white cane, my teacher who would come to my house to teach me how to guide dog um, that was so sweet. And I, and I started to catch uh, a vision of myself being able to go to college mm. now that reading mm. wasn't a mm. problem. I actually had been accepted to BYU. Oh, interesting. And so it allowed me to come to BYU and begin my studies. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, a whole other story. <laughs> um, but I want to share uh, the other really the touchstone for me in my past of adjusting to my blindness was when I won a scholarship uh, from a big blindness organization. And the scholarship included a, um, a trip to their annual convention. So I was flown to North Carolina where the annual convention was being held that year. And suddenly all around me were literally thousands of successful blind people. Hmm. I met blind school teachers, Hmm. blind university professors, blind lawyers, blind engineers, uh, blind college people, uh, like other college roles and things like that. And and, uh, Hmm. so it was amazing because I thought I can do whatever I want. I love that. And it's the first time I really realized Hmm. that it would be, I knew it would be hard to do what I wanted to do with a vision impairment, but it was the first time I really realized doing whatever I wanted was possible. Wow. It wasn't going to be impossible for me mm-hmm. to have the life I wanted. Mm-hmm. I even met a woman there from Anchorage, Alaska, who had my exact same eye disease, oh, really? which is quite rare. Oh. And she owned a floral shop oh, cool. in, in Anchorage. And, oh. and I thought, and she was a mom and mm-hmm. her kids played soccer. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, how can you be a mom if you mm-hmm. can't drive? Mm-hmm. And she goes, I always send my kids in taxis. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. And I thought, that's when I really realized there's a way to do the things that you want to do 
you may just have to find a different way to get them done. Yes. You may have to do them differently than other people do them. Got it. One of my questions is from a physical perspective, tell me like from diagnosis to now, and maybe catch us up to how your vision is now, how would you describe it? Is it a certain field of vision that's the, is preserved or all of your vision is affected or? Sure. Um, uh, Stargardt's, because it is a form of macular degeneration, means that it affects the part of the eye called the retina. This is the back of the eye inside. It's kind of like what they would say would be like the film and the camera. It's this really highly vascular uh, tissue that's very full of neurons and it receives images and transmits them to the brain. So the macula is the center of the retina where you receive, you have the most clear, sharp vision. Your rods and cones, which are responsible for vision, are more and more and more concentrated as they get to the center of the retina. And that is the part of my eye that's affected. Mm. And so I lose that what's called central vision um, to a greater and greater and greater degree mm -hmm. all the time so that I'm left only with peripheral vision. This is what you can see out of the corner of your eye. Mm. So like I can see now that you're wearing this pretty V-neck sweater and that you have brown hair, mm. but not with much detail. Mm. I can only see you out of the corner of my eye. I wouldn't be able to tell what color your eyes are mm. or even really exactly what color your sweater is because mm. um, I have limited color vision because mm -hmm. the color vision is concentrated in the center mm -hmm. of the eye too. I could tell it'd be like a, a dark blue or maybe a purple sweater. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and so that just continues to get worse. Now, what my peripheral vision allows me to be able to do, thankfully, is walk mm. and go downstairs mm. and um, jump off a curb because most of those tasks with movement you're doing with your peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. But then what I can't do because I lack central vision is read words, mm -hmm. see faces, mm -hmm. see a PowerPoint, mm -hmm. see a sign, mm -hmm. see an intersection where I'm at, see the price up there on the wall at Costco. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's where my challenge lies. Mm -hmm. So like with your glasses, for example, tell me what how, how that affects your experience. If you wear those glasses, then are you able to view regular text okay? Or, yeah, like, so the glasses or any of the lenses that I use are magnifiers. Mm -hmm. They massively, massively magnify what mm -hmm. I'm looking at because when a word is gig giant, Mm -hmm. it's easier for your peripheral vision mm -hmm. to read it. Mm -hmm. And so um, some people have said, so does your eyesight cause you to see things really, really tiny and that's why you need to magnify? No, <laughs> mm -hmm. things are already really tiny. <laughs> yeah. It, it yeah. just makes them yeah. um, bigger so my peripheral can see it better. That so I use sense. binoculars. Okay. Um, my glasses are simply a strong magnifying glass mm -hmm. set into frames. Okay. Um, I use a handheld magnifier in clinic um, I'm able to use that because it's so high powered to see medication labels uh -huh. when I'm working as a nurse. So I can see every decimal point of that medication, mm -hmm. which is really important as uh -huh. you know. Yes. And so, uh, that's what I use. I did discover in high school that I could use my dad's hunting binoculars to see the chalkboard, mm. but I never would have done that hmm. because I as I think a lot of teenagers are, you just, you don't want to stand out in a really weird or unusual way. Yeah. But funny story, I got 
kind of used to being different um, and pretty quickly. Um, So when I came to BYU, I used a pair of binoculars to see the chalkboards in my classes. And, um, And so one day I had my binoculars on my desk and someone came up to me and he said, you're a bird watcher. (laughs) So am I. And he took his binoculars out of his backpack. And I think he just thought he'd like found his match. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I I am not a bird watcher. Um, Open to learning, (laughs) uh, but I am a bird listener. Wow. Wow, this is so interesting. And I just want to say I have been so impressed with you and so proud of you. I mean, you really do not just you just don't keep up. It's not that you keep up with your peers or colleagues. You excel, I think, at everything you do. And you amaze me in every way. And honestly, it's what it's like what you said. You wouldn't really know that you were visually impaired. And I think sometimes that can be awesome that you're like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm like you. And at the same time, it can be hard because maybe people aren't as sensitive as maybe we could be, I'll include myself. But um, but I, I do want to ask you, because this has been life-altering and such a journey for you, but I want to know what big lessons you have learned. So that can be spiritual or what you've learned about vision, what you've learned about your body that you would want to share. Um, I've learned some really important lessons one of the lessons that I've learned is that you have to at least try. I decided to go to nursing school. I thought I probably couldn't be successful, but I told myself that I had to at least try. Hmm. I felt like if I at least tried, I could have a clear conscience when that door closed and I could, I just would go on to do something else. Hmm. But that little mantra, Hmm. you have to at least try Hmm. Hmm. has pushed me farther into horizons I never could have imagined Hmm. that I could have reached. Hmm. I never really, if you asked me or interviewed me before graduate school and learning to be a nurse practitioner where I'm diagnosing illnesses, Hmm. prescribing medications, Hmm. I would have told you, no, I I can't Hmm. do that because of my vision impairment. But I tried and I, I found innovative ways to do what I needed to do. And then on to the PhD, same thing. Could, mm. could I do a PhD? Probably not, but I have to at least try. Whoa. So that was a big lesson. I love that. I heard a quote once that said something like fear squashes more dreams than failure ever could. Mm-hmm. That idea. Like yes, sometimes right. we're just too. And there is a lot of fear um, mm-hmm. when you're pushing those boundaries mm-hmm. and, and you can't find where your limits are unless you push that boundary. Mm. And you will hit a you will hit a wall. Mm-hmm. Those those limits are real and mm-hmm. they hurt mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> I tried recently to um, kind of regain my drive, driving privileges, mm-hmm. and um, even flew to Michigan to get some special telescopic lenses and things like that, and um, just really try. Mm-hmm. And it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. It hurts a lot, yeah. but you can't find where that limit is mm-hmm. unless you try. And I'll guarantee you, if you do try, the limit will be way farther than the limit you would have placed on yourself. Yes. You'll be able to do more. I love that. Another lesson, an important lesson is that I have, because of my experience, experienced miracles. Hmm. Um, There have been times when I feel that I have received heavenly help Hmm. in some of the tasks that I have done. Um, I'll share an example. 
I was up against a very tight timeline in turning around a manuscript that I had submitted to a journal for publication and I was making revisions to the manuscript and there were just a variety of reasons why I needed to get this done really fast in a timely fashion. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the tasks involved going and changing a certain word in the manuscript everywhere it appeared in the manuscript, a term I was using needed to be changed Mm -hmm. everywhere in the manuscript. So for someone with a vision impairment, working alone, this is like, where's Waldo? (laughs) Where is the word? And finding each word very, very tedious because of my lack of central vision. Mm -hmm. But on this occasion, and this is not true on every occasion, but on this occasion, my eyes were directed to where the word was Mm -hmm. everywhere I went down in each paragraph, almost as if someone was pointing to it. Mm -hmm. And I finished so quickly. Mm Hmm. Another blessing that I felt that I received going through school as a single mother with a a severe vision impairment was um, during those years, I was blessed with almost like a photographic memory. Hmm. It allowed me to finish my studies quickly. I could hear something one time in a lecture and I would remember it hmm. for the exams or for my clinical practice. And I feel that those are miracles in mm-hmm. my life that had I not had the experience of blindness and vision loss, I wouldn't have been able to see the Lord's hand in my life hmm. in that way. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What does it feel like to, because you said it's a degenerative degenerative process. So what does that feel like to have the unknown before you and not know kind of like how your vision will be going forward or whether you'll it's, it's an ongoing <clears throat> adjustment. You have to settle in, in a place of hope and a place of faith and be ready to pivot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a hard place to be in, but a lot of people with blindness are in that place. Rarely is blindness uh, something that just occurs and then stabilizes. Mm-hmm. Um, often it is a degenerative condition mm-hmm. when you're talking about diabetic retinopathy, glaucoma, retinitis pigmentosa, mm-hmm. Stargardt's disease, cataracts, almost every condition requires continual adjustment. Mm-hmm. And so it just requires you to kind of chill out mm. <laughs> and just be, just be ready. And I'm experiencing mm. it now. Mm. Um, you know, my eyesight's gotten kind of markedly worse mm. even in this last year mm. because I've developed cataracts. Mm. And so that's a separate issue. Mm. It's kind of peripherally related to Stargardt's because of inflammation in the eye, but that's now something that mm. I'm dealing with. Mm. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about this, and it may or may not relate, but you can just, if you have something to, to say about it. Uh, I heard you present on the post-traumatic growth. So that's an area that you've done for research where, um, and you can elaborate as little or as much as you want, but um, do you feel that you've seen that apply in this setting too? Oh, yes, definitely. In fact, um, <clears throat> let me just say a couple things. One, um, I, I was hoping that I could have a successful career in nursing despite my vision loss, but it's really because of my Hmm. vision loss that I have this rewarding career because Hmm. I'm an expert on blindness. Hmm. I've had this ongoing clinical practice with the blind for almost 15 years now up at the hospital for about 12 years. And um, I am able to meet my patients in a way that 
other nurses can't. They see me arrive with my white cane or my really strong uh, magnifying glasses that make my eyes look giant. And, (laughs) um, and so that's been a blessing and it has led me to learn more about the experience of blindness. I have seen so much literature about the hardships of blindness, the loss, the impact, the social isolation, the unemployment, really just truckloads of research talking about how terrible blindness is, which I understand. It is challenging. It is hard. Um, And we need that research to rationalize millions of dollars of funding to find cures for blindness. (laughs) They use Mm. that research as a platform to rationalize, you know, developing new treatments and cures. Great. But I was observing something really special with with the hundreds and hundreds and probably even thousands at this point, patients that I've worked with, which was something that we refer to as post-traumatic growth. The term post-traumatic growth describes growth beyond adjustment, becoming even better Mm. than Mm. you were before because of the struggle with highly challenging Mm. circumstances. Vision loss is a highly challenging circumstance. And I have documented in my own research and in my own life experience, ways that people become better, stronger, smarter, closer to God, more spiritual, able to better relate with others, Mm. um, an improved sense of self-strength. You learn something about yourself. You never would have known that you're stronger than you thought you were. All of these domains and ways that blindness has brought this growth into their lives. That's so inspiring. Isn't it cool? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I've documented this um, quantitatively. Using um, a post-traumatic growth instrument that measures post-traumatic growth, but also qualitatively Mm -hmm. and heard so many really beautiful stories Mm -hmm. about how blindness has uh, changed people's lives Mm -hmm. for the better. Now, now this is I want to be really careful saying that because somebody who's new to blindness may not be feeling that way right now. And to hear that other people experienced all this growth may make them feel even worse Mm -hmm. that they're not going to. But if you are a person like that or living with other illness and feel like you wouldn't be a candidate for post-traumatic growth, I want to add that this is a process that takes time. Mm -hmm. It it may Mm -hmm. take a lot of time Mm -hmm. to get to this place where you can reflect back. And also, it doesn't mean that these things are desirable. It doesn't mean that it's desirable to go blind Mm. or to have health (laughs) problems. (laughs) But as we travel on that path, we can find treasure Mm. in the abyss. Mm. That was so beautiful. I also want to ask you what awareness or... I guess just teaching, teach, teach the rest of us. So what you would share in terms of awareness of blindness and what other people can do to be sensitive to your needs. And I know it may be different for everyone, but what have you found to be helpful or not helpful? <laughs> Some people are really good at being blind. They've been blind for a long time and they know what they do, need to do and they, um, they know how to do it. Um, other people may be new to blindness mm-hmm. and may need a lot of help. If you see someone who is blind and you think that they may need some assistance, um, the best thing you can do is ask if mm. they need assistance. Mm. Um, I've found myself in situations, I think they're kind of funny, but they could be kind of dangerous where mm. people really want to help, but mm. they do it in the wrong way. Mm. Uh, one time I was standing waiting for the train, big commuter train, and um, the doors opened and a businessman 
who was standing behind me, picked me up and put me on the train. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> and then he apologized and he said, I'm so sorry. I just was so worried you were going to fall through that gap. And I said, well, just so you know, I, I know that there is a gap between the sidewalk and the train and I just step over it. And um, so just always ask. Yeah, that's, that's one a, thing. That's a good takeaway. And also uh, don't underestimate what people can do when they are blind. Hmm. Technology is a game changer. Mm -hmm non totally non-visually you can access your email surf the web create powerpoints word documents excel spreadsheets i know brilliant engineers who are blind i know a brilliant paleontologist mm -hmm. who is blind um i know wonderful successful mothers and fathers who are totally blind yeah. um there are ways to do the things that you need to do non-visually and technology in leaps and bounds is making more and more and more things possible for the blind including driving now with self-driving cars which you know are coming mm -hmm. um we see this with the self-driving ubers and stuff that they have in the, the big cities and and now individuals may eventually be able to have a self-driving car i might get my um driving privileges yeah. after all all Kristen. right look forward to that <laughs> those are some uh, take-homes also to mm -hmm. realize that somebody can be quite severely visually impaired and not look blind yeah and so they're not faking mm. there was a meme going around social media um it was a woman with a, a white cane a long white cane and she was looking at her phone and texting and people were uh, calling her out as if she was faking to be blind. And uh, that just wasn't the case. Yes. She probably was really, really relying on that cane and her smartphone. Yes, that's a great point. Yeah, really great tips. Was there anything else that you would want to share that you'd want everybody to know? It's, uh, it's respectable to be blind. There's nothing wrong with being blind. Uh, we come from a historical past where being blind was shameful. There were times in history where it was considered maybe something that you did in a past life that caused your blindness or that your parents did, or um, maybe that you're not very smart because you're blind. We still have images or people who have lived in Utah during a time when they had sweatshops for the blind. They were uh, programs where blind people could go be employ employed by doing repetitive tasks like making rugs or making brooms. People made brooms in Utah and rugs and picnic tables who were blind and it wasn't considered that they could do anything more. So um, don't underestimate what you can do if you're experiencing vision loss and blindness um, and don't underestimate what other people can do. Oh, well, you can dispel a lot of, <laughs> I guess, misunderstanding and, and beliefs about that, because I think you, you've shown that. So I, I really admire that. I hope so. And I love the stories when Christ heals people. A lot of times it seems that those people are have been blind, or I guess from the scriptures that a lot of the examples that are mentioned in the, in the scriptures are about healing the blind. And of course, we know that one day everyone will have their vision restored. How does that feel for you? Like, does that seem exciting or just too far away? I love it. I, I can't <laughs> wait to be put out of a job. Um, and I do have a, a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ healing a blind man in my office. Aww. And it inspires me because blindness is so hard. It's, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. It is so challenging. I still shed tears sometimes mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of frustration mm -hmm. and, and the hard things I'm having to do um, mm -hmm. with my super strong magnifiers and, and mm -hmm. feeling like I'm taking forever. Um, so that healing that's going to come someday is going to heal our eyes, but also our hearts. Mm, I love that. And um, I think it can happen now and later. 
Hmm. Oh gosh. I just felt so blessed here talking with you. I, I have known you, but I haven't known your full story and all these insights and they're just so beautiful. So thank you, Karina, for all that you've shared. Thank you so much for letting me share.